then Todd accepted a call out to Tacoma, Washington, and that's where Dan first interned for him out there in a camp in Washington. And over the past 20 plus years, Todd has been senior pastor of Bennington Bible Church, and that is a church that Dave planted in Kansas while ministering at another church nearby in Minneapolis, Kansas. And there's many other connections with, with people who are here as visitors and also people of Riverside. So these two have served together and have known each other in ministry and have had a friendship, Todd and Dan, for over 30 years. And so it's just a great joy to welcome Todd this morning and to have him come and open up the word and give the pastoral charge to Dan. So come on up, Todd. Would you welcome him with me? Well, be careful what you ask for, because <laughs> 30 years knowing Dan, there is so much ammunition, and so I'll be, I'll be really, really careful not to use all of that, but I just want to say uh, greetings in the name of Jesus this morning. It is what a privilege. Honestly, the worship, wow, you guys, that was unbelievable, and we could literally have stopped and gone home, but... I didn't drive 10 hours just to do that. I've got something to say, and so uh, I'd like to do that. And um, you'll notice I'm wearing a tie today. I don't always do that, but it's a special occasion. I might get to go to Portillo's after this. So, you know, so I, I thought maybe I'd just dress up a little bit for that possibility. Uh, I'll do my best too, Dan. You know, with, with you guys in the front row, it, it will be difficult to get through this without... Becoming a bumbling idiot, but I'll do my best. Um, I remember you, Dan, just beginning. Uh, you were too young to come to youth group and uh, just a squirrely little kid. And I think maybe, what, 11 years old? I don't even remember exactly your age. But uh, then entering into our youth ministry and, and you're the devil's advocate on everything and always asking questions. And sometimes I thought he was actually the devil incarnate. And, uh, <laughs> but he had this inquisitiveness to him that was really quite amazing and he wanted to know the truth he wanted to know why and and it's a wonderful thing to do those things and uh and, and Dan and I have a lot of years together and we've seen a lot and I think if I remember right it was about your junior year that you sensed maybe God was calling you into ministry and we had these conversations and um and just praying about that and seeing uh, you come to where I was to do internships and uh, being in camp together. And we were, he, he did also did an internship just at the church for a couple weeks with me when he was in high school. And uh, just a great, a great opportunity for him and I. And, and serving together in ministry. We've gone to Africa together. And uh, what an incredible thing to watch Dan preach. You guys know he's gifted, that God has really given him something. But, but watching it is phenomenal. Uh, in Africa, I'm sitting in the back while he's teaching these African pastors. He's doing a Bible walkthrough and talking about the, you know, how it all fits together and look in the wide eyes of these pastors as they're being told how it all just fits together, the grand narrative of Scripture. And ooh, they would say, and ah, oh, they would say. And he was taking him through uh, all the different places. Ur of the Chaldees, I remember he'd say, say Ur. And they would say, Ur, Ur. No, say Ur. <laughs> it just spoke different. Just so great to watch him uh, serve God in ministry and listening to him preach in pastoral ministry. And uh, 
when, when you texted us, Dan, uh, we were just ecstatic. And uh, I think I said something to the effect of those people would be fools not to vote you in 100%. And uh, thank you for not being foolish. Thank you for being <laughs> wise beyond your years. And uh, the thing that's interesting, though, is when Dan called me or texted me saying that you had... Um, extended the offer to him and we were so thankful for that and he asked if I would come and speak and uh, wow what an, what an honor to be able to do that and then we were driving around in Vermont just a few weeks ago and you know I, I needed to talk to my elders to make sure I could get here and and then Dave called and he said hey I just wanted to check and see if you're able to you know come to speak at the church and, and he started to explain and I'm like why is Dave calling me about Dan I don't understand and then as he told me, I'm like, oh. I said, wait, 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 hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was just a church somewhere. I didn't realize that Dave and Jan actually go to this church. I was just blown away by it. And I said in my mind that God will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Just that verse that you use, because I think it's true. And tears just came to our eyes as we listened to you talk. And what an amazing thing to know that, that God has restored you into ministry. And, and uh, I listened to you preach the, the message that you stood here and, and you gave in your candidating message. And, and you've always been good. But as I watched you, I could see pathos. I could see pain. I could see something that I had not seen before, uh, the heart of a broken-hearted pastor, which is a really good thing. And I thought of a story that I'd heard about a woman who stood up and she sang this beautiful song. She had an incredible voice and everybody thought she was amazing. And, and one man looked at the other and said, doesn't she have an incredible voice? And the other one leaned over and said, yes, she will be an incredible singer once something breaks her heart. It's like we don't really understand how to sing until our hearts have been broken. And over the last several years, we've seen your heart broken. A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful that God can ever use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And trusting the sovereignty of God, we know that he had a plan all along. And he's used you. I would say to you, like Paul, that we have this treasure, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Dan, you're in good company. Just thought about you and I thought about Moses <laughs> in the wilderness for 40 years waiting. Come on, God, what are you doing? I don't want to be in with these sheep or these goats. Let me go do what I'm called to. And he waited on God. I think about David in the cave of Adullam running from Saul, waiting for his turn to sit on the throne. Or Elijah being fed by the ravens as the brook slowly dried up, waiting on God, or Paul in the years in Arabia before he became the most prolific church planter and missionary the world has ever known. It was in waiting that Moses learned how to lead a people from bondage to freedom. It was in waiting that David really learned how to be a king 
It was in waiting that Elijah was given an ability to go and to face the prophets of Baal and to do what God had showed him to do. I think about Job when I think about you. Job was given something that he didn't deserve, but God somehow saw that he was worthy of it. Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, I don't want God to ever say that to me in the presence of the devil. And after all of that, this is so beautiful, after all of his pain, after all of his loss, after all of the accusations from his friends, and even after God spent about four chapters just dressing him down for questioning him, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, they see you. He may have heard God before, but I'm believing that, Dan, you see God in a way that maybe you've never seen him before. I want to share a letter with you that my wife wrote. And uh, I've read it many times and I've not gotten through it yet without crying. And so I will do my best. But she has a much prettier voice than I do. So imagine it in her voice. Because I think you and her, you've gone through this together as well. And, and I will tell you, this is the best thing that you're going to hear after this. What I have to say will pale in comparison, but here's a letter from my wife. I'm sorry I couldn't be there for your amazing, look at this, the third word, and I can't even say it, amazing day. Uh, this is something I've been praying for you since the first time you came to our home almost four years ago. I can't tell you how wonderful it was to be able to draw a line through this prayer and mark it answered. God is good, Dan. This new ministry with your amazing wife reminds me of how John Eldridge often says the phrase, God will make all things new. And for you, he sure has. The man you are now is, is not the same man you, who started out in ministry all those years ago. He's been made new. He's better. He's broken but restored. He's been humbled yet... He's blessed with a fresh understanding of pain, of sadness, of, of asking, How long, Lord? Why, Lord? He knows what it's like to plead and to cry out to God as he was all along quietly showing you a new ministry. And I say, Amen. I think, in my opinion, this has a lot to do with who you are. I'm not talking about the person, Dan, but your name. I love your name, she writes, Dan. These three names you were given, Daniel, Paul, Boyer, they, well, they make you you. Daniel, the name means God is my judge. As you already know, God remained loyal to, or Daniel remained loyal to God despite persecution and danger. He was thrown into the lion's den for refusing a king. But, and I love this part, he was not harmed he was protected. As I've been praying for you in my prayers, I categorize you as a Daniel in your lion's den. It broke my heart to see you being attacked and being labeled and being left alone by so many. But in the fire, your own personal fire, there were people with you. More importantly, God stood there with you, Dan. There's a Hillsong song that I dearly love. I I don't listen to much of their music, but this particular one popped up in my playlist and, and ministered to me during a particularly rough time. And the chorus says this, there is another in the fire 
standing next to me. There is another in the waters holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the fire. When you read those words in the chorus and really look at them, it's a, it's a powerful promise. Someone, Jesus, standing with you in the fire. Someone, Jesus, holding back the waters so you're not consumed by something that could kill you. You've been through something that I'm sure you thought was going to destroy you and at times probably felt like it had. But it didn't, Dan. You were protected. God was your judge. (laughs) Your middle name, Paul, and I love this is your middle name. It means small, humble. We all know Paul was formerly known as Saul, but before God could use a Paul, he had to break a Saul. He had to be made low. He had to be made humble so God could use him. He was on the path. Then God took him down another My goodness, the things he went through. They're huge and powerful to read about, but I've often thought of you over the course of these years, how each time you you came to our home, you were completely sad, completely broken, completely angry, confused, and I think completely scared. You were being made small, humble, low. God had to get you to the end of yourself so he could use you. You had to be made to lay bare all of who you were. Let it all go so that the Saul in you could be made the Paul whose name you bear. The Paul with a ministry to prepare and to help people whom he now can relate to 100%. I consider Riverside Community Church your second missionary journey. (laughs) The restored man is now going out and ministering again. Daniel Paul. God is So good. Daniel Paul, God is so good. You also have a powerful last name, Boyer. Now, this is where I get emotional. This name is an easy name to know. I don't even have to look up the meaning of it. I only need to look at the two most important bearers of this name, your parents. They're powerful people from good stock deeply rooted. They've been tested and found faithful. They're full of incredible wisdom and fervently found in prayer. They're educated in the study of God's word. Wisdom is deeply embedded in them, and they contain a vast ocean of love, not only for me, but for God and for you, Daniel Paul. For me, the name Boyer reminds me of a time in my life where two people watered gently and purposefully the soul of this young mom serving in student ministry at the time, enabling her to grow, not because she had to, but because the two people tending to her held her tenderly and wrapped their arms around her, and and, and she received it, and it, it changed her life. She's still growing, and she's often goes back to those days and draws strength, strength from them. The name Boyer over time has added the letter H to it, but without it or with it, it has a meaning of bow maker. How fitting. Your dad and your mom, Dan, they are bow makers, and you are their arrow. God knew all this, exactly who 
was supposed to raise a son, they would name Daniel Paul Boyer. A son who was thrown into his own personal lion's den, only to be be made humble by something unimaginable unimaginable, just so he could be sent out a second time by the grace of God. I'm forever thankful for their wisdom. Your parents, dear, sweet parents, are excellent bozemen. They raised you well. So as you start your second missionary journey, as I'm calling it, I'm praying that all of you, all that you've gone through, will be used to change people's lives, their families, and their children. My new prayer is that you will be used greatly through it. I'm praying your ministry ripples out so far, Dan, that it spills over beyond St. Charles. Wouldn't that be quite a ripple? She's almost done. She's more long-winded than her preacher husband. (laughs) You already know how I feel about you and how I completely love you. We're praying for you. You are so loved in Kansas. Now go and make disciples, Dan. And enjoy your ministry and this new journey in which you and, and Jennifer can walk. Take, take excellent care of her. We already love her. I look forward to praying for this new ministry and for you in a different way. I love you very much, Daniel Paul Boyer. And she signed it, Denise. I'll give you that. So that's hers. And I'm sure she's watching and crying as well. So um, good job, Denise. That was good. Now, now if I could just uh, take a little bit of time to speak to you. Are we good on time? Am I okay? I hope we're all right. I don't really care, but uh, (laughs) what what are you going to do, fire me? I mean, (laughs) this is awesome. I love it. I I love it. (laughs) I've spent... Sweet. Great. Uh, Dan, I've spent a lot of time uh, just as we've been, uh, after you asked me, I said, what could I possibly say? What, what could I bring that would be any kind of benefit to you? And, um, of course, I went directly to the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. Timothy was Paul's uh, son in the faith. And I've been looking at that book and just praying through it. And, and there's so much that I want to say, but I don't have time to say it because it would just be impossible to say everything that I'd like to say. But I am drawn back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'd like to read uh, 1 through 7, but then I'd like for us just to look at, at verse 6 in particular and just a couple of words there that might be a challenge for you. I'll read the first several verses and then I'll throw up on the screen that last verse 6 and we can look at it together. But I think you need some context. Paul is writing this right before he's to be executed. This will be the last words that he speaks to the person that he loves so much. And he pens these words in a dank dudgeon in Rome. I'm reading out of the ESV. I don't know what your version is, but this is God's word. He starts by saying, Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as, I did, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, day and night. And I remember, as I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. 
I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then he says this, for this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then verse 7 says, For God, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. But the verse that really I want to look at just for a couple of minutes, okay, maybe more than a couple of minutes, is for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. The gift of God that is in you. I grew up not far from here. I grew up in Genoa, which is, I think, I don't know, 25 miles west or something like that. And um, my dad got this wild-haired idea when we were younger that he was going to heat our house with a wood-burning stove. (laughs) And I thought, but Dad, there's a perfectly good thermostat on the wall that you just turn up and down. It's wonderful. Heat comes out. I don't understand why you would want to have heat with wood. But he did. And so we went out in the, in, the, in the summer and we cut trees down and we split trees and we stacked the wood and we put it in the basement and we had this big old wood burning stove. And there's nothing greater than wood heat. I mean, it's really quite amazing. I always smelled like smoke going to school. I swear I didn't smoke, but I smelled like smoke. Not the kind that comes from cigarettes, but that come from a good wood burning stove. And I remember feeling that heat and enjoying that heat. But my job as the dutiful son was to keep the fire burning. So we would start that fire, and we would let it go all day, and I'd come home from school, and my job was to stoke the fire, to go in and to see the blackened coals. By then, they were gray. It looked just like powder, like nothing was there, but you could feel the heat. And I would take a little poker that my dad made out of rebar, and I would go and I would stir those coals, and then the, the fire would, would come back to life. And then I'd grab some wood, and I'd throw it on there, and those, those embers would light the wood on fire, and it would continue to burn. Now, I have to confess, there were times when I didn't really want to do my job. I'd rather stay in bed or not go down to the basement and not, you know, tend the fire. And the fire would go out And I'd have to go in there and start all over again with newspaper and little kindling and then the rest of the wood. And we had this great switch that was manual that you turn on. It was called a a blower. And the blower would bring in, you know, oxygen to the fire. And pretty soon the flame would begin to crackle and the wood would burn and would be back to burning all over again. I know a little bit about fire. I know a little bit about keeping it going. And Paul is using the same analogy for you, for all of you. By the way, I'm, I'm talking to Dan, but you can listen in. I, it's sort of like when I, when I do a wedding, I, I talk to two people in front of me, and they're generally taller than I am, and so nobody can really see me. And I say, I'm just talking to you two, but you can listen in as well. You can listen in what I have to say. I hope maybe it'll, it'll be helpful to you. But Dan, God has gifted you incredibly. He put it inside of this broken vessel. And he's saying to you, now tend that fire. Don't let it go. Stir up what is already in you, what God has given to you. To stoke literally means to feed. 
to feed to the fire. In the Greek, it's an amazing word, and I'm not great with Greek, and I've got Greek scholars in here. I should probably really just stop right there, but, but I'll try to pronounce it. It's anadzo pareo, anadzo pareo. It's actually three words, and if you put those three words together, you get anadzo pareo. But what it means, literally, it could be translated up, alive, fire. Isn't that wonderful? Up alive fire so for this reason i remind you up alive fire that just says something to me doesn't it you it means get busy doing what god has called you to do don't let it go don't let it fade away don't let the embers die Maybe you've seen the movie Backdraft. It's a really interesting movie, but that term backdraft is an interesting term. It means, let's say there's a room that is totally devoid of oxygen. Every bit of oxygen has been burned up inside of the room. It's superheated air, and because the oxygen is gone, there's no real flame, but there's heat. And all it needs is a source of oxygen. And the dangerous thing is when a firefighter comes in with an axe and maybe breaks through a wall or a door or a window. And when he does that, oxygen just goes into the room and it causes it to explode. And it's a terrible thing for a firefighter. But it's an incredible thing for a man of God. That you would take the gift that God has given you and allow the Holy Spirit of God to light it up, to to oxygenate it, and to allow that flame just to explode. To me, what I'm hearing is let the gift of God burn in you to come alive. So that you could be like Jeremiah who said, I I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything, but, but I just can't because it's like a fire in my bones. And if I say nothing, it'll just come out anyway. So Dan, fan into flames the gift of God that is in you. This is a present infinitive. It means you have to do it again and again and again. The fire tends to go out, and we have to feed it. We have to tend it. That is your goal. And so for me, Dan, I would say, do what that takes. Pursue Jesus Christ with everything in you. There are a couple other verses inside of Timothy that I think are so good. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, But you, O man of God, pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then he says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He goes on, actually a little bit earlier in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He says, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that they all may see your progress. Keep a close watch 
over yourself, your doctrine, and your teaching. Persist in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I just have to ask you, anybody C.S. Lewis fans? How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, that's pathetic. You have a homework assignment. You have to read it. Okay, and this is why I tell you that, because my daughter-in-law, she texted me and said, Todd, have you read the Chronicles of Narnia? I said, well, no, I just quote them a lot, because there's some great stuff in there. She said, you've got to read the Chronicles of Narnia. I said, okay, I'll read the Chronicles of Narnia. And she made sure I would read the Chronicles of Narnia because she sent me all of the Chronicles of Narnia. Amazon came to my door. Here's the books. And so I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the, 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 the several volume set. I'm on number four, a Prince Caspian. Okay, so let me set it up for you. You've got, you've got the four children who go into the, the wardrobe and they come out in Narnia. I don't want to spoil it for you. It's amazing. You've got these four characters. You've got, you've got Peter and Edmund and Susan and Lucy. I love Lucy. <laughs> She's the best. She's the most spiritual little girl you would ever believe. It's incredible. And, and there's this character in it. His name is Aslan. Aslan is, is, is Christ. He's the picture of Jesus. And he continues to show up from time to time. And every time Aslan shows up, you know it's going to be all right. It's wonderful, wonderful. You've got to read it. I, she gave it to me, and I've been working my way through a book called The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's so hard to read that. And then she gave me The Chronicles of Narnia. And it was like candy. It was wonderful. So I take a picture of it every time I finish one. And I'm on Prince Caspian. I actually finished it. And, and, and as I'm reading, it was a couple Thursdays ago, I just started to cry because of what was happening. Because the children are back in Narnia. And they're going to help Prince Caspian fight a battle. But they don't know exactly where he's at. And so they're making their way, hopefully, to this place. But they're going the wrong way. And they're going through really difficult times getting there. And Lucy, the youngest of them all, she catches something out of the side of her eye. And then she sees a shadow. And then she sees the lion. And she says, I see Aslan. I see Aslan. He's telling us to go the other way. But they wouldn't listen to her. They said, you're just a child. And so one night, that night, she's lying down and she's sleeping. And she hears this voice. And she thinks it's her dad. And then she thinks, maybe it's Peter. But then she knows, no, it's the voice of Aslan. And she gets up. She walks into the forest. And there is the lion. The lion, the king of the wood. The one who is deadly but good. And she runs and she falls on Aslan. And he looks at her and he says, you must lead them. Wake them up and tell them they've got to go this way. And, and through the course of the conversation, she says, but I'm young. What if they won't listen to me? Then go anyway. <laughs> and she gets up 
She runs back to the camp and she's trying to wake them up. Wake up, wake up. I've seen Aslan, I've seen him. And he tells us to go this way. He's bidding us go this way. Oh, just go back to sleep. You're dreaming. Finally, Edmund said, let's just go. She's not going to shut up until we go. And Aslan is there. And she sees him and he's clapping his paws and he's got a smile on his face and he's running ahead of Lucy and Lucy is running ahead of the three and they go and and they're they're running and, and, and they're saying, slow down, Lucy, where are you going, Lucy? We can't see where you're going. But she sees Aslan and all they see is her. And finally he goes over this, it looks like a cliff and they think Lucy has gone over the cliff but they found out that it's not a cliff, it's a path down. And I think it's Edmund who says, what's that shadow? And she says, it's Aslan. And they all get down to make a long story short and spoiler alert, but they see, all of them see Aslan. And it's this amazing thing. And as I'm reading this, I'm crying thinking, isn't that us? Isn't that what God has called us to do? That we see God, we see Jesus, we know him, and we bid other people to come, to follow. And they say, you're a fool, you're a child, you don't know what you're talking about. But we know who he really is. And this is what I'm calling you to, Dan, is to see Jesus when nobody else sees him and then run hard after him. And if nobody else goes, you go anyway. Love that hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Pursue Jesus Christ. Uh, One of my favorite men from another generation is a man named Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. The prince of preachers, he stood in front of his students and he lectured and there was a book that came out of it. Maybe you've read it called Lectures to My Students. In it, he writes almost the very beginning of this book. This is so good. And so, Dan, here it is for you. We are in certain, in a certain sense, our own tools and therefore must keep ourselves in order. If I want to preach the gospel, I can only use my own voice. Therefore, I must train my vocal powers I can only think with my own brains and feel with my own heart, and therefore I must educate my intellect and emotional faculties. I can only weep and agonize for souls in my own renewed nature. Therefore must I watch, watchfully maintain the tenderness which was in Christ Jesus. It will be in vain for me to stock my library or organize societies or project schemes if I neglect the culture of myself. For books and agencies and systems are only remotely the instruments of my holy calling. My own spirit, soul, and body are my nearest machinery for sacred service. My spiritual faculties and my inner life are my battle axe 
and weapon of war. Let me say that again. My, my spiritual faculties and my inner life are my battle axe and weapons of war. He quotes McShane, who's writing to a ministerial friend who is traveling with a view to perfecting himself in the German tongue. And he said he used the identical language. McShane said, I know you will apply yourself hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man. I mean the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. And then he says, a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And I say, amen. So Dan, my prayer is you being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that God does something in you that is supernatural. So watch your soul. Watch your heart. And don't go it alone. Circle up with this group of people. Lock arms with this wonderful body of believers. You are the body of Christ. And you can't go it alone. In fact, if you do, you will burn out. And you will become just a coal. I love the story about the pastor who visited one of his parishioners who had not come for quite some time, and it was in the winter, and so he decided to give this fella a visit. He knocked on the door, and his wife opened the door and said, oh, he's in the den. He's sitting in front of the fire enjoying that on a cold night. The pastor went into the den and saw this roaring fire in front of him, and and he just sat down, and the two of them stared at the fire and didn't say a word, just silent. Wonderful warmth was glowing red, and the flames were incredible. And then the pastor got up, and he walked to the fire, and he took out the tongs, and he found a coal that was burning red hot, and he just grabbed it and and just put it out on the bricks and set it there, came back and sat down. Didn't say a word, but the two's eyes were drawn to that ember, red hot, glowing, producing heat. Pretty soon... The redness started to turn dark. The flame went away. And after a while, it turned into this black piece of coal. And the pastor got up again, took the tongs, picked up the coal, put it back in the fire, and watched it come to life again. And he let himself out. And as he's leaving, the parishioner turned to him and said... I'll see you in church on Sunday, Pastor. (laughs) I get what you're saying. That we are the fire of God together and you need one another. You need Dan. You need Paul. You need your, your pastors and your pastors need you. Your elders need you. You need one another. That's the body of Christ working together. And just the little bit that I've seen, I've seen this come together. So don't go it alone. And take your family with you. All right? 
Take these beautiful people with you. Take Jennifer and Haley and Cassidy with you. Take Zach with you. That's your first ministry. And I know you know that. Love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that she becomes your greatest cheerleader in the endeavor of serving his people. You know, when Jesus was about to be crucified, the Bible records that he washed his disciples' feet. And and, and the, the one who recorded it said, and in doing this, he showed them the full extent of his love. Isn't that crazy? Wait, I thought he died on the cross. That was showing the full extent of his love. Yeah, he did. But before that, he became a servant. Serve your family, Dan. Be the spiritual leader in there. And you'll go a long way, I think, to being an incredible man of God. And then finally, I'm almost done, I promise. Remain faithful. It's not easy. You know that firsthand. Ministry's hard. People will disappoint you. People will hurt you. People will slander you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For so persecuted they the prophets who are before you. And Paul finished his letter to Timothy, that last one, right before he went to have his head chopped off. And he said something to the effect in the last bit of 2 Peter, for the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to everyone who looks forward to his coming. Finish well. It is a long way from here to where you're going. And Satan is in no hurry to get you. So do everything that you can to be the man of God. Allow the spirit of God to dwell in you richly so that he produces that fruit inside of you that you might live out your days to the praise and glory of his name. And you will leave an incredible legacy here. I thank God for people that have left their mark in my life. Dave and Jan, we love you guys so much for that. I mean, that I get to stand here you guys don't know me very well that you would even let me do this. It's amazing. But leave your mark. Just, just a couple more thoughts. I promise maybe two more minutes, all right? Okay, three, four, five. <laughs> I, I, I read about a, a, a convent in Cleveland, Ohio, that somebody had given a, 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 a... Whatever they wanted to do, they would pay for it. And these nuns got together and they said, we'd like to go to the, the Rocky Mountains. And so they had some buses, and they got in the buses, and they made their way to these, these Ohioans to the Rocky Mountains. And they saw the beauty of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And, and they would stop for a time, and they would look and ooh and ah at the beauty of the Rockies. And, and there was one particular lady. Uh, her name was Mary Margaret. And, and, and every time they stopped, she would sort of disappear and just be gone for a little while. And then she would come back. And all the nuns are like, where is she going? And so one time when they stopped, she disappeared, and they all followed her. And they watched her. She walked down into this little gully, and she bent down, and she took this big rock, and she just turned it over. And she turned around and did that, and there all the nuns were. And they said, what are you doing? 
And she said, I'm turning over a rock. And they said, why? She said, because I may never pass this way again. But I want to have made some sort of a difference wherever I was. So I turn over a rock wherever I go, knowing that this place was different because I came here. Turn over some rocks. Invest your life in souls of human beings. That's the only thing that matters. And one day, and it may be sooner than we think, you'll stand before the judge, the righteous judge, and he will say, Dan, <laughs> I poured into, this, into you this gift. And I saw you light it on fire. I saw you allow the Spirit of God to do what it does in those gifts. And I saw what you did. And I just want to say this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me show you what I've got prepared for you. You are faithful in a few things. I'm going to give you responsibility for so much more. What an incredible thing to be called in to the ministry. And I pray that he will do above and beyond what you could ask or think or imagine. I love you. I'll be praying for you. Can I pray right now? Lord, I just thank you for... Uh, it's just such an amazing thing. Like Dave said, it's a God thing. I, I'm amazed that there are times when I think, I don't think I'll ever go back up into Chicago again. <laughs> and then, uh, here you go. Thank you, Lord, that our lives have continued to be intertwined. What, a, what an honor to be able to stand and to speak. Lord, I pray for Dan. I pray for Jennifer. I pray, God, that you would do what only you can do. Guard their hearts. Prepare their lives. And God, I pray that you would show them favor here. I pray that they would leave their mark and that you would be pleased. Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us, that we, we don't serve you because we're trying to earn your favor. We serve you because of the songs that we sang that testify of your, your life and your death and your resurrection and the power that you've given to us. And may that power be found in Dan. And God, would you bless this body of believers here in St. Charles? I pray that you would do great things here, as you already have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Todd, I am so thankful that you were willing to drive 10 hours up here and go back 10 hours this afternoon into probably the early morning hours to celebrate with us. I think you not only encouraged Dan to fan into flame that gift, but you breathe fresh air into my ministry too. So I thank you. I thank you. I uh, want to ask the elders to come up. And I want to ask Dan and also Jennifer to come up. And I want Jennifer to come up with him because of the role that she plays in loving and supporting and encouraging and walking alongside her husband in this ministry. So y'all come on up. What we're going to do, I want to ask some questions of Dan. And uh, then together as elders, we're going to pray over Dan and then we're going to sing a closing song and have some fellowship together. 
we're not calling Dan to this ministry. We are simply affirming the call that God has placed on Dan to pastoral ministry here at Riverside. And so uh, just last weekend, I had the privilege of officiating my brother's wedding in Boise, Idaho. And as we were standing there, I asked him some questions and his bride some questions. And we knew the answers that they were going to give, but there was something important about publicly declaring those commitments. And so that's what we want to do this morning. And I'm going to have two questions for us as a congregation to answer as well. So let me turn and face. Dan, do you, with the strength and energy that God provides, commit to leading the flock at Riverside Community Church with diligence and integrity alongside of the other elders? I do. Do you, with the love and support that God gives, commit to lovingly caring for the flock of God, to which you've been called as pastor of family ministries? I do. Do you, with the insight and wisdom that God supplies, commit to teaching the word of God faithfully, in season and out, for as long as God entrusts this ministry to you? I do. Praise God. Now let me ask our church family, and you can respond and signify by saying we do. Do you commit to supporting, encouraging, and praying for Dan in this ministry? Do you commit to being submissive to his leadership as one of the pastors and to receiving the word humbly and with gladness? Praise God. We're going to just spend a few minutes praying, and I want to ask Brad to start us, and we'll let each of the elders pray, and we'll close together. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for today, or we thank you for the words that have been spoken, um, the relationships that uh, those words have been spoken by, and, and just the encouragement. Uh, Lord, we're, we're grateful to you that you have brought Dan and Jennifer here. Uh, Lord, we uh, are sure that uh, your hand was uh, divinely involved in all that has gone on in in their lives and and in the life of Riverside and so we just want to thank you today uh, for your provision for your church Lord uh, this is your church and and you bring uh, the people that you are uh, going to use and uh, each of us here have uh, unique gifts and abilities that you ask us to to put into play here uh, for your work. And Lord, we want to pray and just thank you for Dan's gifts and and for Jennifer and and that this would be a place that you would allow them to to use those gifts, as Tom has uh, mentioned. And and Lord, we thank you for. Um, just a neat opportunity for 
Dan and Dave to get to serve together again, Lord, and I know how special that is, and um, uh, what a what a neat um, additional uh, a gift that is for uh, them and for their family. But we uh, we are grateful, and and we just lift them up to you today. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for Dan. Thank you for bringing him to Riverside. Just pray that you would uh, watch over him and protect him and Jennifer and that you would just bless their ministry here at Riverside and that we would be blessed as well. And uh, again, we're just thankful for him. And Amen. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you've done and the time that we've had this morning to think on these things. God, I just agree with these prayers and would also pray for Dan that you might bless him as Todd challenged with a fire in his bones that he would be on fire for Jesus Christ, that your word would be alive in him, burning, burning, burning. Lord, and so he cannot contain it. Bless him in his teaching and preaching and in his leadership. And I thank you, God, as a father for his being my son and the things that you have planned and the opportunity to be here on this day together. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this isn't a, a normal job, a normal um, work, but uh, Dan and Jennifer alongside him, Dan shares um, hope with us. He shares uh, knowledge about you and how we can know you and walk in your ways. He helps us. He spurs us on through his public teaching. He spurs us on through his private interactions with us. And he gives us more than just what a job would give. And Lord, because he's doing such a special job, a special role, uh, there are forces that would want to discourage him, would want to distract him from doing that, would want to sideline him. And those could be things as simple as sickness, uh, disease, um, relational things. So, Father, we, we ask that you would protect him and Jennifer and their kids from those things that would distract him from doing the thing that you called him to do. So, Father, as a congregation, we ask uh, that you would protect him, that you would help him. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I pray that we as a church, as a body of believers, God, that we would be easy to lead, that you would work through Dan in his ministry and his leadership, but that we would follow him as he follows you. He, he, 
thinking of the hymn, though none should follow, God, help us to follow. Help Dan to point us to you, Lord, and help us to be submissive and humble. Help us to lift him up in prayer and encouragement, God. I want to see you glorified in this church body, Lord. I want you to look down and smile upon what you see here, God. Help us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, I want to I just give Dan a minute to share a couple of thoughts. You want to share a few yeah. words with your church family? <laughs> how, how much time? Do I have? I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I'm just, yeah, no, no. No, I just want to take a minute to and just, uh, again, just express um, my gratitude for the Riverside family and just uh, this opportunity. There's been um, a lot of kindness that's been extended uh, to Jennifer and I and uh, just really thankful for God's call and uh, just your uh, confirmation of that through this process and uh, just really thankful, grateful for my wife and for my kids, my family, and uh, this group of elders uh, that have uh, walked through this process with us, as well as all of you. I'm deeply grateful for you, Paul and Deborah, and uh, the time that I've gotten to get to know and to serve already a little bit with you guys. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to it. But um, I, I know this is kind of a thing that goes without saying. I didn't actually know that Dad was going to share this, but my life verse is John three thirty, and uh, you know uh, he must increase and I must decrease. That um, um, you know my perspective on this is just it's really not it's really not about me, and it's not about um, you know I appreciate everything that's been said, but um, it's very undeserving, really, and anything good that comes out of this really is about the grace and goodness of God. And my goal and desire is much like yours, and that is just uh, to promote the fame of Jesus Christ. And, um, man, and uh, it's just my honor uh, to be able to do that with you and uh, to be able to join you in um, the worship and adoration of Jesus. And so... I'm looking forward to it and uh, grateful for the opportunity. Praise God. I think all we can do in response is worship. And let's do that, church family. Let's worship the Lord together.